Hello and welcome back to the Comic Literate Podcast, the podcast that does deep dives into the best of comic books, graphic novels, mangas, penny dreadfuls, web comics, newspaper comics, and essentially any single frame illustrations where the characters use bubbles to talk or think. I am your host as always, the soon to be known as Comic Standstill, one day hoping, and with me as always is my gregarious host, it's Jamie. Hello Jamie. Gregarious. Yeah, it's, it's, an, it's the new thing. I it, love it. Yeah, it's, it's going to be better than the my joke about being a comic expert and your joke my joke about you being a book expert because i was like yeah. i'm running out of things <laughs> and it's always a, so one it's too long anyway so one word from the thesaurus each week i think gregarious. is a, yeah. I, I like gregarious as well it's a beautiful piece of language it sounds kind of viking-esque mm. i don't know if that's correct or not i don't know the etymology of it i know what it means i don't know the etymology and you're meant to be the book expert i know i know <laughs> it's unfortunate that i don't know the etymology of every piece of vocabulary well if you, you could, could catch, if you could get that in ready for next week and just I'll, get I'll the entire sure. etymology of the english language old versions new versions versions we haven't had yet everything really i'll brush up on it yeah fantastic how are you uh not too bad we uh should warn as i warn this is but we've would there if you as i said earlier if you don't like cat noises then this is not the podcast for you today especially my kitten's horny there's probably much better ways you could have put that. She's um, really horny. I can't help it. But that is essentially the case. Yes, She's so. just been rolling around and rubbing herself on things. I'm, I'm having her bit scooped out really soon. Yes, it's the of it's the it's the kitten becoming a cat, and with males and females, they go through this stage. And unfortunately for us, it's a bit of a vocal stage. She's in season, and she's just <laughs> yes. <laughs> but constantly having done the editing on these podcasts, I feel like. Uh, of all the noises, that was a prime one. The yeah, the, <coughs> into the, yeah. a good is. example of what I was talking about, <laughs> which we won't have any more of from this point onwards. No, no, I've got I've got a soda stream lemonade here. It's all good. Exactly. Um, and uh, with the editing and the noises that I have taken out, which is just people talking into mm. a mic, like it happens. I think yeah. you have to be like a, a several years in the line before as a podcast or recording whatever that you just don't do the voices the uh, the sounds naturally. But of mm. all the vo- of all the sounds to edit out of a podcast, a cat meowing in the background, I'm like, that's fine. It's not. Yeah, it's not someone. Chill. It's not eating in the microphone. It's not coughing. It's not sneezing. It's just a gentle meow in the background. Every I don't now eat then. while we record anymore. <laughs> anymore. Not after, <laughs> not after the last incident. Not, not after the fuck. <laughs> that incident. entire episode was unusable. <laughs> yeah, we had to bin it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so. We are going to be looking at a comic uh, in this episode, which will be in the title. You'll see that when it's all done and ready. But first, uh, luckily, there's no news of anyone dying recently. So, hey, uh, so that's mean, positive. We're, we're having another 2016. People are dropping like flies at the moment. I mean, uh, but nobody comic book related yet. Yeah, but I, I have a theory about that. And I don't, this isn't even my own theory. I, I'm pretty sure I see, I've seen this elsewhere. But I think it might have been you, I think, when I was talking to maybe years ago, like probably around 2016 but the reason it seems like in 2016 especially that there were so many celebrities dying was because we've got to the point where there's more celebrities Mm. so 2016 was the turning point of like older celebrities after a a boom of celebrities in what like the 80s you know like when television was more common and music was a lot more pronounced and varied so you've got more celebrities and they just started all dying basically in 2016 onwards mm. so i think every year after this is going to seem like oh my god there's so many celebrities dying it's like because there's so many more of them and i think it became a focal point for the news in 2016 to the point that they were recording the death of everybody every single celebrity death became 
noteworthy and something that they had to report on. Yeah. Because 2016 was the year of the dead celebrity. It was also the year of Trump and Brexit. Like, we needed something to... To, to <laughs> chill out on, like... To distract uh, ourselves on. Yeah, exactly. And I think as well, news, like... I've seen a few celebrity deaths, like on the front page, like BBC News, and I'm like, mm. I'm surprised their death has made it to the front page. I think the big one was Jeff Beck, and that hurt me because he's a musician that I really like, and he was a good friend of David Bowie's, and died on the same date. So Bowie died on the 10th of January, 2016. Right, kicked off the year of the dead celebrity because then uh, Alan Rickman died a few days later. Uh, Lemmy was quite close as well. Lemmy was quite close. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, David Bowie died on the 10th of January and Jeff Beck died on the 10th of January. And that was very sad. Brutal. Well, uh, so there's no death. Anywho, <laughs> moving Anywho, swiftly on. Past the, the topic of death. Um, but we are going to come back to our favourite segments of the week. Uh, do you, do you, are, we always do your first. Do you, do you, are you happy going first each time or do you want me to do mine first? You do yours first. We'll, we'll, we'll switch it up. I want to hear from you while well, you've right. got a cat on you. I've got a cat on me, so I'm just going to go chuck her over. Not animal cruelty. She lands on her feet all the time, so it's fine. Got nine lives, so it doesn't matter. Exactly. And she's still meowing, so it's fine. <laughs> um, I will start with my Ryan's uh, uh, moving... In, uh, it was a, a co- Comic a, books where the pictures move so fast. That's it. That yes. they become moving images. Exactly, that's, yes. it, It's something like that. We you, can just edit the one in from like episode three or whatever. You'd think, well, at some point we'll have uh, theme tunes. So once... Right, we're, theme tune. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Once, uh, once uh, at a certain point, I'll have like a sound desk, mm. a sound thing, and I'll press a button. It'll be like... Ryan's the moving and images. Every single episode of the podcast will be like a DJ Khaled track. Yes, exactly. And another one. <laughs> exactly. And just fart noises on command and everything like that. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be crazy. Um so yeah, we'll start with mine. I've uh, consumed some some film film some films. Uh that's uh, say it correctly. Films. Um films. films, um, moving images and the like. I've realized recently that a lot of the films that I watch uh turn out to be horror films and i mm. actually i actually i've always considered myself a horror fan and then i looked at i've got a list of films to watch and as i was looking through i was like like at least three quarters of these are all, all horror films so it <laughs> might eventually become ryan's horror film corner or something i don't know we're also doing little hint we're doing a horror themed comic later on so that we are uh, kind of uh relevant as well um so the films i was looking at was um ignore the silence but uh, there's two films I want to mention. One, I can't give too much away because I just want to recommend it without saying as much. It's a mm. film called The Menu. Um, it's on Disney+. Plus. Uh, it's a Fox Searchlight kind of thing where they do like kind of indie-ish films. But it's got big names mm. here. It's got yeah, Nicholas Holt, um, Anna Taylor-Joy, and oh, what is his name? The, the British guy, he played Voldemort. Ray Fiennes. Uh- Ralph Fiennes. Well, he, he says Rafe, and it's like, mate, your name is Ralph. All right? just... <laughs> Does he pronounce it Rafe? Every, he, he, everyone calls him Rafe Fiennes, and it is literally spelt Ralph. I, I, oh. he just, I, he's not a fan of the Ralph terminology. Uh, Ralph's the a great pronunci- name. Well, uh, I guess if you're an English actor and you're doing Shakespeare, it's like, who's, who is performing Macbeth tonight? Ralph. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, so... Um, so the menu, great film. I really mm. enjoyed it, and again, it's as I said earlier. I I want to say as little about it as possible yep. because it's best to go in not knowing as much. Oh, um, the premise. I tell you the premise. The premise yep. is 
a bunch of uh, extravagantly wealthy people mm. have gone to an island to mm. eat basically what's meant to be the most renowned, um, what's the word, private, um, the most hard to get to exclusive restaurant. And uh, they go to this place and the the head chef, he's, uh, he's renowned, but a bit of a recluse and that kind of thing. And it's these people go there and it's a, it's a, dinner menu and a dinner but it's also mm-hmm. an experience and that kind of thing and basically as you go through it the lines get blurred in terms of what's an experience and what is real oh uh, that's cool exactly and again i can't mention any more i'd love to speak to you about it if you watch it at some point yeah. um and we'll have a proper in-depth discussion but yeah highly recommend the one i will talk about a bit more is uh, a film called uh, the banshee of the inner Sheeran. i think i pronounced that correctly i might have butchered the last word there but it's um by oh god i think his name michael mcdonough okay who was the guy who wrote and directed in bruges and oh, seven Psychopaths. yes so this is if you like or love in bruges you will love this it's a similar it's a bit more of a slower burn than in bruges yeah. but it's a great film it's um it's uh takes place on a an island off the coast of ireland which is funny in itself does that have colin farrell in it colin farrell and brendan gleason Oh, yeah. they're so good together. Exactly. So they're back together after in Bruges. They play the older men on this island who basically are friends and then they have a falling out. And like in Bruges. <laughs> kind of, yeah. It's it's literally more of like a casual friendship that kind of just ends. Mm. Um and uh, I don't want to say too much about this one only because it's not much a lot happens and not much happens if that makes sense it's about the characters and the interactions yeah. and the dialogue which are all amazing it's again if you like in bruges if you like seven psychopaths it's like that it's the the uh, interaction between characters and also there's a really cr- like weird undertone of horror and Ooh. i wouldn't call it a horror but it mm. feels like it's almost takes place in purgatory like there's that kind of aspect oh that's interesting it also takes place off uh, the coast of ireland where the irish civil war is happening so it's kind of a uh, period oh. it's kind of a bit but it's like the bombs going off across the literally across the sea so you can see ireland across oh. the the sea and you look and there's just bombs going off and they're just these people on this island just getting on with their day because they're not a part of what's happening on they're the not mainland. a part of the troubles exactly so it's I highly recommend it's uh it's good if you have an interest in horror but you don't like the over overtly horror gore you know thriller psychotic all that stuff it's like a really low down it's someone just best described it as an almost a ghost story oh wow, I think that's, that's cool that's a good way to describe it i don't know if it's spoilers or not if you don't want any spoilers stop now there's no ghosts in it so that's why it's interesting <laughs> that it gets called almost a ghost story when there's no actual supernatural stuff in it so highly recommend check it out if you can how many emaciated Sinn Fein prisoners out of five does it get uh five five out of five five Sinn Féin prisoners out of five i don't know if that's a particularly politically correct scale to use i don't know if the irish would be that happy with it well i was looking at purely from a metric obviously like purely from like uh it's good so i'm gonna give it the full five regardless of what those five things are (laughs) so that's my film corner done so we pan across uh we sail across the seas to jamie's uh comic books without pictures and too many words yeah corner Oh, Sorry, mate. I sounded really deflated when I said the title. <laughs> to his corner, go ahead. Um, so I think I mentioned in the last episode that I'd gotten a really pretty signed copy of the Satsuma Complex. 
you have, and I barely remember the synopsis, but that's because of me and my attention span. Well, so. I hadn't read it yet. Right. So it was by Bob Mortimer. Um, it's like a murder mystery, but a murder mystery that Bob Mortimer wrote. Um, so it's really funny and it's really charming and everything's kind of a little bit serendipitous. Um, and this, it's, it's, his character is a 30 year old everyman who is a bit middle of the road and a bit average and likes to go on walks and talk to the squirrels. That sounds like both of us. Oh yeah, no, it's, it's like dead on. (laughs) It was a really fun little romp, um, with some really lovely characters, some very well realized characters. And it played with the conventions of a kind of murder mystery novel in a really charming way. So if you've ever read and enjoyed an Agatha Christie and you wished it was written by a surrealist British comedian from the 80s, mm. then the Satsuma Complex is absolutely, pardon me, is absolutely for you. Before you start in your next book, I I, I uh, feel like I should mention the fact that I mainly know Bob Mortimer, as I think some British public, mainly from like Shooting Stars. Yeah, where he was brilliant. I loved Shooting Stars as a kid. I felt like, I was like... I'd seen other quiz shows, you know, like uh, for the British audience, uh, Have I Got News For yeah. You, uh, Never Mind the Buzzcocks, things like that, which were good. And they had like earlier, non, they're, they're all terrible now. Yeah. But earlier on, they were very good, very pushing, whatever. And then by contrast, you had this like thing that felt like only people either loved it or hated it. Oh, shooting Stars was so good. Bob Mortimer with his face, like a rotten tomato. Yes. Yes. So funny. And um, uh, the pub, was it the pub karaoke round? It's like, what yeah. song is this? Like, <laughs> and if you don't know what we're talking about, this sounds insane. Yeah. I suppose the other thing that Bob Mortimer is known for more recently is his train guy on the train Instagram character. That sounds interesting. So he does forward-facing Instagram videos, like really low-budget Instagram videos of him playing the character of a businessman having a really loud FaceTime call on a train. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I've been in with uh, Jeff Linton. No, I know, the Jeff Linton. And he always signs off by calling the guy something really silly, like a spasticated cormorant. Like uh, like that offensive as well. Like you are, as always, a retarded parrot. That It's, it's one of those things where it's like, you need to know the character is not like not meant to be like he's meant to be unlikable. Yeah, no, absolutely. But I think what was amazing is that character turned up very briefly in the book, and I was like, oh my god, it's the train guy! It's the train guy! Um, so that was really good. That That's was a really fun, quite read. progressive for like like Bob Moore is an older guy, but he's doing cross platform character universe crossing across his um his content. Yeah, no, he really is as well. How many people can say they wrote a book that has a crossover character from their instagram content yeah and there was just enough of it that you knew it was it Mm. but it didn't make it didn't suck you out of the world i think one of the most fascinating things is that there is a book that's quite central to the plot called the satsuma complex and he describes his own book like he describes the color the cover of his own book this is sounding a bit like a Tenacious D tribute. It's like it's, this really awesome book called The Satsuma Complex. No, it's a really crappy book. It's ah, like a really it's like a really crappy populist novel called The Satsuma Complex and he completely thoroughly describes the cover of his own book which makes me think it makes me want to buy the paperback edition if it has a different cover just to see if he does the rewrite. I mean, you could surely you could Google it, couldn't you? I mean, I don't want to tell a, a book buying fanatic like yourself. I don't want to give you reasons why you maybe shouldn't buy a book. 
but you could probably Google it. A second copy of something I already have a first edition signed hardback of. Exactly. Yeah, no, I get it. And also, this is an intervention. So with your family are through the next room, we're going to all come through. We're going to tell you why we don't like you, <laughs> but spending your life savings on books. <laughs> and then the book I'm currently reading was actually a Christmas gift from my partner. Right. Um, which is a lot less interesting to the wider public, but infinitely more fascinating to me specifically. Well, luckily, uh, you also listen to the podcast, so that is appealing to one, to currently, who one is probably listener. our only actual listener. Yeah, because we haven't published anything yet, so I just, I get exactly. uncorrected proofs. Um, it's a book of Norfolk folklore. Right. A really big book of Norfolk folklore that, that I think was published quite cheaply, because I'm, I'm noticing spelling errors. Right. And grammatical errors that I mean is is Norfolk, so that could just be the language. Hey, right, boy. Yeah, <laughs> weird. That's that's incredibly alien, <laughs> alienating any other possible who just not in Norfolk. It's like, what? I reckon, my man, I should do an episode entirely in a Norfolk accent and see what happens. I think if we get any American listeners, they're going to be like, "What's well, a British accent?" Isn't it? Like, <laughs> <laughs> they wouldn't notice the difference. <laughs> but no, it's it's a book about Norfolk folklore, and um, there's one interesting thing. There's there's one little anecdote from it that made me chuckle, and it was somebody from the British Museum making their retirement speech, and they said that I've noticed a lot of people um, bring artifacts into the museum at the moment, and my curators have told me they're interesting because they're votive, and my understanding of something being votive is that it was pulled out of a bog in Norfolk, <laughs> which I think is really funny. Votive meaning like um, sacrificial, right? Um, so an item that you would throw into a river or something um to appease or to appeal to a certain deity right to a certain pagan deity um but yeah no it's been very interesting and I, I, it's been kind of useful research for something that we're going to do together quite soon mm. and so it's been fun but that is thus concludes jamie talking about the things that he's reading at the moment yeah the the corners have many names so uh mm. well, well as I, once we get the theme tune sorted and i can like play them on command or put yeah. them in an editing then uh, then they'll have cemented names um interestingly about the the norfolk thing if anyone people who aren't from norfolk aren't maybe going to be interested in this but I've, i always think it's an interesting fact uh norwich specifically as a, as a city in england is the only whole city to have ever been excommunicated from the catholic church yeah that did happen <laughs> i feel like that's a good claim to fame hope didn't like us for a bit unfortunately i think it was for burning alive monks or something or, or priests or there was something a bit of that yeah, there was some kind of human murder going on well, to elicit it. We have two cathedrals, don't we? I did not know that, but go on. We have two cathedrals. Is the one uh, for was it Grapes Hill? Like There's that? one at the top right. of Grapes Hill. Right, that's the new one that yep. was only finished in 1922. Very, very new then. <laughs> and then it wasn't consecrated as a cathedral until the 70s. Right. So we have one of the newest cathedrals in the country, mm. and it is also the second biggest place of worship in the uk after not st paul's cathedral the catholic one in london what's the catholic one in london you're talking to the wrong person to ask the that question big catholic cathedral in london um is the biggest right. and then our roman catholic neo-gothic cathedral is the second biggest and then we have you know the actual cathedral the really pretty one that is the pretty one I like churches. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, someone has to, I guess, in this day and age. Raging atheist loves a good church. I mean, you can admire the aesthetic. I mean, yeah, that's, that's never gone away. 
So, yeah, I think a good start to the episode. And I also uh, anticipate, and I might be wrong, I anticipate this one being a shorter episode because of the content of, well, of uh, the subject we're talking about and today. As we started late. <laughs> eh, uh, we'll go into, we'll go, we'll go through the night. Is there we... any Alan, very quickly, I just need uh, to check. Is there some... any Alan Moore news? I just need to check. I'm just going to run a quick, apparently Yahoo search because my computer's decided that it wants Yahoo. I mean, um, Yahoo decided that you won Yahoo. Fuck, oh, mate, I don't know. I don't know how it's happened. I'm just going to see if there's any Alan Moore news. I mean, I'd like to think I would have seen it because I'm kind of, you know, into all those scenes and stuff. Alan Moore hasn't done or said anything of note in the past couple of weeks. But obviously it would have been a... Um... It would have been a bad episode of the podcast if we had not mentioned Alan Moore. So at least we got that done and out of the way. Well, yeah, absolutely. Of course. So what we're actually talking about this week is something a little different to what we've done so far of the five episodes we've already done. Yeah. Um, but we are talking about the Image comic, uh, the what technically I would describe as a horror anthology, which yeah. is the Ice Cream Man or Ice Cream Man. I don't know if it's the the in the in the Ice Cream Man or Ice Cream Man. But it's Ice Cream Man. It's just Ice Cream Man. Sure. Um, so it's it's an interesting one. It's a little, little bit different to what we've done so far because, as I said, this is an anthology. So the anthology aspect of it is why I think we won't be doing, we won't take as long to talk about it because it's not it's not a serial story as such where we, I think, get more into it. Yeah. Like we're only talking about, the first nine issues of this, there was only five issues of Rogue Sun, which was the only other kind of modern one that we'd done so far. Yeah. But that, I felt, we got a lot more out of the themes and the story and the characters, whereas this being anthology and a, a contained story per issue, I think we could talk a little bit about each issue, but it's also going to be that we're not going to, I don't think we're going to get as deep into it for the exact reason. Yeah. I will say the anthologiness of it does create a bit anthologiness? of anthologiness. Yeah, I made a word. <laughs> I think the anthologiness of it. I think it does add a bit more unease to each issue and each self-contained story because anything can happen to any character. So, like when we were reading Rogue Son, we know the character's not going to die in issue three because he's the main character of the series. Whereas yeah. this one, each time you get into an issue, it immediately becomes what's gonna happen to these like anything could happen to this character that i've just been introduced to yeah but you also don't have the same weight of you know caring about each character but i think it does a good job in certain issues of making you you know just giving you archetypal characters to care about like whether it's a struggling parent or a, or a young person you know like it, it gives you like here's a character that you've seen before in other things yeah but we're now going to do some fucked up shit to them because the ice cream mm. man's here um i'm i'll give the so i went on wikipedia as i normally do for, <laughs> but wikipedia didn't have much on it so they no, i noticed this they had it but i think that is like you know new modern comics like maybe it just hasn't done enough to elicit especially again with an anthology it's not enlisted enough of a following of the you know like an ongoing story it was positively received wasn't it, it has really yeah. positive reviews so it, i went to the image website and uh, got the blurb from there. So, whereas normally I would do the movie announcer, you know, trailer voice one, this mm. one, the blurb of this comic sounds a little more like a sitcom <laughs> being described. So, I'm going to do it in a kind of wacky sitcom voice. Do you have a wacky sitcom voice? I mean, we're about to find out. Let's try. So, chocolate, vanilla, 
existential horror, <laughs> drug addiction, musical fantasy. <laughs> There's a flavor for everyone's misery. Ice Cream Man is a genre-defying comic book series featuring disparate one-shot tales of sorrow, wonder, and redemption. Each installment features its own cast of strange characters, dealing with their own special Sunday of suffering. And on the periphery of all of them, like the twinkly music of the... The cat's on me, the cat's on me. <laughs> <laughs> like the twinkly music of his colorful truck, is the Ice Cream Man a weaver of stories, a purveyor of sweet treats, friend, foe, guard, demon. The man who, with a snap of his fingers, lickety-split, can change the course of your life forever. Lickety-split. That's his catchphrase. Oh, it is, isn't it? Very quickly. Written by W. Maxwell Prince, uh, with art by Martin Morazzo and Chris O'Halloran. So, and also appreciating, I think, the writing is very interesting for... Uh... Well, let's start here. Did yep. you enjoy it? I enjoyed it i'll say overall i liked it and i think i'm going to continue reading it i think that's I think the biggest so. the biggest um the biggest thing i can give it is i am going to continue reading it let's mm. say the biggest kind of hype um i think i enjoyed it more up to issue five I right, so i've read up to issue 18 i got a little carried away past we're only talking about up to issue nine because that's where you got to and i feel like what I really liked about it when I first kind of got into like the issue five, between five and ten, was that even though it's an anthology series, there's this backstory of the of the main character, the ice cream man. Mm. Um, and when they started revealing that, which we were kind of we couldn't quite remember if issue three or four, but whenever they started revealing that there was this backstory, so it, it the character, the ice cream man. For, so for those who don't know, basically each issue. There's uh, people in a story, and in the story, the ice cream man appears at some point, in innocuously enough, and then horrible things happen to the people of the issue. He did. So, one of the things that I did notice is that a character bled from one issue to another. I did also notice that as well. Uh, Jimmy, I, poor Jimbo. There's actually a couple of characters that appear at different points, as I've gone on later but they don't seem as significant as you might think. It's not like, oh, it's that guy from the... It's more like... It feels more like an Easter egg almost. Like, oh, hey, it's that guy, rather than like a big like, oh my God, it's all connected. Well, because at the end of Jim Jim's story, he gets clean. Yes. And then he throws his one-week chip in the river. And I don't know if... And that's the same river he visited with his girlfriend. And I don't know if that's meant to be sig not symbolic of him kind of throwing that part of his life away. Or him deciding to get straight back on Skag. Maybe. And I, I do appreciate that. The ambiguity of it. Yes. And it's kind of a, it's what I like about it. Also, what I don't like about it is I like that there's, it doesn't give you like strong, like, and they lived happy ever after, or they all died, or there's no, it's, it's not about what happens. It's, well, we know what happens to Jim because he's one of the guys he's torturing in a, in a, in a further issue. Yes. It's more about the is about creating a sense of unease, I think, is the is the best issues are the ones that create a sense of like, I don't feel right. Like this this is making me feel ugh. and it's not over horror. You're not like, oh my God. It but it's you know, it's at its best when it just creates this like it's it attempt to create an atmosphere of unease and you're not gonna know what happens next. And that's what I like about it. Yeah. But also again, because there's not hard set stories it feels almost going against like storytelling convention, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like 
we've the all the ones we've done have those kind of storytelling conventions with the exception of maybe mouse for obvious reasons but everything else we've done has a sense of like but like this happened and then here's the problem and then here's the resolution but there's the ongoing story whereas this is like i mean one of the issues um ends with a guy is just turns out he was in hell the entire time and you're just like all right what do i do with that dope but it also again just makes you feel really off which i think is the point of horror to a certain extent and we can talk about each issue and i i think i can mention a little bit about each each issue individually because i feel like there's something to take away from 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 all of them the first issue with the spider was Mm. interesting because the spiders then become a motif in issue nine yeah it becomes a and speaking as going past issue nine it Mm. just it almost becomes a symbol of the ice cream man so they use like spider legs in other things they do go in quite weird and wonderful directions of like types of stories and how how the ice cream man is torturing people essentially um the first issue i liked it i liked that it's a morbid story um so what i say now is i think we've covered as much as we can without spoiling the first issue you're very sensitive to spoilers aren't you well i've had it before i've listened to things and people have just said something and i'm like (laughs) i could have done with a spoiler so yeah what so up top spoiler alert yeah but we're doing this much earlier than with other with other titles yeah but i'm saying now if you like horror anthology if you like that kind of thing give it a read uh the best thing about horror anthology as well to say up top before we break any of the of the stories is if you don't like one of the issues just either skip past it or get through as quickly as possible you'll probably like the next one yeah it's a similar thing with like comedians who do like one-liner jokes if you like if you didn't yeah. like the first one you like the next one or you'll you know you like keep going and i think that's true favor i think anyone who reads this series they're gonna have issues they liked and issues they weren't they didn't like as much so that's the benefit but also the you know the benefit and the disadvantage of uh of something like this so all that side we're we're going into each story so yeah. you know have at it but what i found weird in that first issue the story of the kid with a spider and the spider basically it turns out the spider has bit and poisoned um both of his parents both of the parents so they're dead the kid's just like ah oh, well shucks and uh but what I found weird was the ice cream man is just a were- werewolf for no reason. Yeah, I know. But and this is something I want to talk to you about. Right. But it means jumping to issue six. So it does mention the werewolf again, don't, don't they? Well, I think issue six implies three distinct timelines. Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. So issue six, for anyone, know, um, for anyone wants to know, is one character, you see their life going three separate directions, kind of like a what's it like choices and multiverse and all that yeah three separate directions and you see three different outcomes but there is a scene where he's walking through the park and the bench in the park is very obviously the bench that jim and his girlfriends used to go to to do blow and also what's interesting the, all the issues take that everything takes place in this one town called yeah. saint is it saint generous yeah but in issue six on that one panel the top story, you see Jim looking like he's nodding out right. on that bench. The second panel, you see the guitar player trying to write his his hit. Right. Like he's there with a guitar, so it's, it would appear that after the end of his story, he started writing again. And then on the very bottom story, you see somebody who looks suspiciously like Rick, the, the guy who's chasing Rick down. Yes, who we later find out is Caleb. Yeah, it looks like Caleb. And so I kind of get the vibe that they're playing with multiple timelines here. 
which is interesting because they give us three distinct timelines and then in each of the three timelines they give us a character from a different issue that's already passed mm. and so i don't know if that implies some kind of chronology that we're seeing here or if it implies different timelines or if it was just a fun artistic choice because it's an anthology and so they're playing with that well you've kind of said what i was going to suggest which is that it's it's entirely possible that that's the case but i also think it intentionally as a series it doesn't give you enough for it for it to be ever concrete yeah for it to be any one of those things and this is why i said this is why i said a bit earlier about the difference between uh signifying things so recognizing a character saying oh that's he's from this so it's taking place here and it being just an easter egg like it's just like a eagle eye uh, readers will see that guy was from before like and that's it there's and no suppose, meaning or anything like that's a possibility the, and this is where an element of challenge comes in for me somebody who had a formal education in reading story because of course the way that my brain is trained to read a story is to make inferences from te- from textual in textual evidence and so if i was writing about this on an academic level I would absolutely want to take that panel and use it as textual evidence for split timelines and run with that mm. because they've given us that like that that's there in the story it's hard it's printed and it's printed yes and so the argument that well it could be that and it couldn't be that it doesn't matter and, and there is a reading there is a reading of the text where that is true and this actually this actually kind of comes back to a larger debate i think with like literature as a whole and mm. fiction where if an author puts a little something in to what level is it like well that must mean something because they took the time to put it in versus are they just put in because it was like it was like a fun little tidbit and so this is a fun teaching moment i don't want to call it a teaching moment but do you Cause, know that defi- you're not technically a teacher i'm not technically a teacher anymore um do you know the death of the author theory yes uh vaguely so it's it's i'll, I'll give you the layman's for the people who don't know it like this i'll explain yeah, okay. on their behalf so we think it's um once a story or fiction or piece of art or anything is once it's published for lack of a better word but out in the world the author's original intention doesn't matter yeah so well it's not that it doesn't matter is that the author becomes a reader of their own work and their perspective on it matters as much as any other readers. Yeah. It was coined by a chap called Roland Barthes, Mm. who comes up a lot in the first maybe month of an English degree. Right. And weirdly, psychology and sociology degrees. He was a pretty well-published chap, was Roland Barthes. French bloke. Um, He could have been that much if he was French. (laughs) We love the French. I'm just having a laugh. I believe he wrote in English as well as French. He was a very intelligent guy. Well, he's he's definitely more intelligent than me. (laughs) For for my remark, I'll say he's probably more achieved more in life than I have. And me. Um, And most of us, I would argue, because he's from the early 20th century and his work is still fairly widely read in academic circles. Right. Um, And so, yeah, the death of the author theory would suggest that actually intent doesn't matter here if that's a reading of it that you find compelling and that there's enough textual evidence for to support that reading then it's as true as any other it's just as valid as the author's intended yeah exactly yeah that makes sense i think what what becomes really sort of problematic there is when a certain author whose name i won't mention (laughs) jk rowling (laughs) 
um, starts to imply authorial intent onto books. Starts retconning without actually making new content. Yeah, when she when she when she said, "Well, Dumbledore's gay," and I'm like, "Yeah, but where's the evidence of that?" Yeah, and what that was the the problem with that, I think, uh, was just that she was like, "Yeah, Dumbledore's a gay character." It's like you can't have it both ways. You can't not <laughs> you can't write a character almost asexual and then be like, "Oh no, they were gay the entire time." To get to get the credit of writing a gay character, like, yeah, it, uh, like, absolutely. If you want that, you have to go full. You know, you have to be obvious. Yeah, there has to be some textual evidence for it, and there isn't for Dumbledore. Exactly. There's... And I would have loved for Dumbledore to be like a, a you know, an out queer man. That would have been fucking marvelous. It would have made that book, those books, for me. Well, they're meant. So there's a whole thing, and I don't know why <laughs> we've taken a turn on Harry Potter, but um, there is a thing with the Fantastic Beast series, which apparently is not a great film series. I've seen a no. couple, and but the whole point of that is meant to be. The character um, Dumbledore and Grindelwald were very close friends, like really, (laughs) really close friends who had a had a a breaking up almost of their deep friendship, and now they're enemies. But and the hate is so much stronger because they loved each other intensely as friends. (laughs) And it's like. Just say they were gay. Just say they were I gay and make it interesting. Fucking love it when academics will be talking about a certain writer and they'll be like, "She lived for twenty years in a one-bedroom apartment with her close friend." And I'm like, "Close friend in a one-bed, was it?" Yeah, all right. <laughs> there's actually, if anyone uh, is interested, there's a subreddit dedicated to that. It's called, I think, Sapo or Sappho okay. and her friend. And it's it's basically like like my aunt and her roommate who have lived together for thirty years are, are attending. It's that kind of stuff, so and it's good. it's fun. Yeah. So back to Ice Cream Man. Um, yeah, the first issue randomly, Ice Cream Man's a werewolf, and that for me, yeah, I was right. like, that fell out of place. And I've, I, I said, I got to issue eighteen. They never explained it. They mention werewolves, but they there's no explanation for it. Yeah, and also the spider bites the werewolf with enough force to save the police officer character and the child. Yeah. But then later, the ice cream man's like, oh, here's the spider, picks up and turns him into an ice cream. It's like, I love, I fucking love spiders now. It's like, yeah. what, are you, are you superhuman? <laughs> and it's like, are you superhuman? And if not, why were you affected by the spider bite yeah. as a werewolf, but not, and and maybe I'm, I'm looking for too much um, continuity in what is meant to be presented as a a crazy world where rules don't really matter this ice cream yeah. world like it doesn't matter it doesn't have to make sense and i feel like maybe i'm trying to make sense of it when it shouldn't be you know and and this is the thing isn't it where people will say people will make the argument that in a fantasy world things don't have to exist within a continuity I feel like I feel like it should. I've, well, I agree. I'm inclined to agree with you. I think the best fantasy worlds are ones that are rooted in something real. Yeah, you have to set up the the world's rules and follow them. And if yeah. you break them, you have to break them in ways that that don't feel like cheap ploys for tension yeah. or Deus Ex Machina re- resolutions or whatever. But yeah, I th- and I think I think it is kind of getting across that this series is meant to be like. There aren't rules. You are just along for the ride. You are experiencing yeah. the suffering of the characters. Like, yeah. it's, that's why if, if it was everything worked out I've, with no rules, then it'd be boring. Mm. But because people are suffering in this world of no rules, it becomes a lot more like morbidly fascinating. And yes. I think that's the only way it gets away with it. Yeah. So issue two, 
was the uh, uh, aforementioned drug story. I thought there was a clever, almost like Twilight Zone twist in this one, which I yeah. think I was implicitly expecting from the series as a whole. And that's it's not that common in these issues, and that's fair enough because I expected it. It's what you for wanted. no reason. <laughs> but I thought issue two was a good version of that, where. The, there's a couple who are both heroin addicts. Yeah. He is so sick from withdrawal that he can't do anything. He's yeah. like lying on the bed dying. She is going out to find him some medicine, in quotes, uh, to you know make him feel better. Then when she gets back after stealing the ice cream van and running amok and getting back and the police are after and everything, the ice cream man's there and he offers her some pure grade A heroin. And he says, there's just enough for one. So, you know, do with it what you will, that kind of thing. And then the police come later and she's taken it and she's overdosed. Yeah. But then the boyfriend is taken to hospital and saved and goes through the thing of getting his one year chip. And then one he week. one one week chip, sorry. And then yeah. chucks in the river. So ambiguous ending. But I thought what was clever about it was that by showing the woman taking the heroin, it proved that she wasn't just out there trying to get medicine to make him feel to make the to save the boyfriend it was so she could have some as well like that was the driving force behind it all yeah i mean and she's a junkie yes but i thought it was good that in that moment the ice cream man was like you know made her suffer by presenting her with yeah. the choice to have to show her real you know intentions yes absolutely and that unfortunately despite the morality of the character the addiction was always going to win out in the end mm. and i thought that was a clever twist in a way um I thought they were a fascinating pair of characters as well. Yes. Well, you don't see much of the man until towards the end, yeah. But I think the woman is uh, was de was definitely an interesting and sympathetic character to an extent. Yeah, I think they were both really sympathetic characters because you see them kind of in the early stages of their addiction where they're using hard drugs, certainly. You know, they're talking about doing keys, so presumably they're doing cocaine. Um, and so you see them doing quite hard drugs but living relatively normal lives whilst they do so. Um, and that and that and that scene where they're they're shooting up together for the first time, I it took I had to do a, I had to stop on that one. Like I found that quite graphic and quite affecting. Yes, and I always do with really really like um, obvious images or video clips of people doing heroin. I find yeah. that really affecting. Yeah, that's fair because it's, it's such a visceral thing. image, isn't it? Yeah. The I think one thing is a credit to this entire series, and it just kind of this issue reminded me of it is. They're really good. The writer, and to obviously to whatever extent the art uh, as well, but the writers are have written it where they can condense story into just like a page of, of panels. Yes, and so you and it it trusts you to kind of know like the the tropes and conventions of these kind of stories. It understands like, look, you've seen this story, you've seen like Requiem for a Dream, and you've seen you know all the train spotting, train spotting exactly. So you have an idea. So we're gonna condense this. Trust that you can fill in the gaps yourself yeah. because you've seen it before in longer form and then we can get to our interesting take on this version of the story. So I think that it's a, tal it's a credit to the talented writing that they're able to, they know what people know and they go, right, here's a page, you know where we are, now we're going to get wacky with it, you know, that kind of thing. I think the other thing that this this particular story really drove home for me is the fact that all human lives are the same to some degree. I mean, to the ice cream man, they are all playthings. Well, yeah, absolutely. And, and that's, an un that's an undercurrent theme of the whole series, isn't it? But the couple that she ends up running into, 
and the, the kind of narrow elderly poorly husband whose spine is not fused right and he's relying on medication to feel mm. comfortable as well um and he's talking about how his pills aren't working and they they work for a little bit and then they stop helping yeah yeah isn't that just such an interesting parallel to the story of somebody who is locked in substance abuse and especially if you know about the opioid epidemic in america that is literally like a like for like like it's part of the entire conversation well he's taking oxys yeah and that's how people eventually Oxys are an opiate. Yeah, exactly. And they, they call it hillbilly heroin, don't they? Yeah. And the number, for anyone who doesn't know, the number of, it's surprisingly, shockingly high, the number of people who get prescribed opiates for whatever, surgery, injury, whatever. And then by the end of it, dogs go, right, you've had enough now. Uh, you, you've done your course, so you're done. And they just have these intense opiate withdrawals and try to, they try to get oxys to continue. Yeah. But oxys are so expensive that they then fall back on heroin as the cheaper alternative. And that's how heroin addicts are, how a lot of them are made in America. Yeah, the, 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 there's an opiate crisis in the Midwest at the moment, isn't there, in mid middle America? I mean, I think it's spread to a lot of America, I'd yeah. say, to be fair. But but yeah, it's uh, it was. I don't think it went out of its way to like make a point or anything. I think it was more just like he's thematically part of what we're talking about, so he's an additional part of it. It's definitely something I took from it. Mm. I found I found that to be a really powerful analogy between these two these four characters that ostensibly are living incredibly different lives, but actually are almost caught in that same struggle. Mm. And I think that the again the benefit of the anthology is that you'll just get a little bit of a, a snapshot of this theme within the story, and they just play with it a little bit and make you feel uneasy, and then they move yeah. on to the next one. Absolutely, yeah, because it you know even we don't even really see these characters descend into addiction do we we well, see them take their first shot we mm. see them nodding out on a sofa then we see them robbing people at gunpoint yeah and and i think that's what you were saying earlier about them giving you a well a well-trodden story and letting you fill the gaps in exactly it's the same like again with the with the whole superhero genre it's like if you're reading a batman thing and they show a couple of gunpoint and the pearl necklace getting broken it's like yeah. batman's origin like you yeah. don't have to see the whole leaving the cinema and getting yeah. to and all you don't have to see over that they just go snapshot here you go you know what this is let's get on with it yeah absolutely issue three i thought was uh interesting because uh well for one thing so there's one point so the issue three is about a old aging one hit wonder rock star yeah um who who wishes he could write a new he feels like he's got one more in him to get famous one last time whatever um, and he's talking to the ice cream man who just happens to be in this, was it ice cream parlor maybe or a diner he's in or something? A diner, yeah. yeah. And he, he's talking about how he recorded previous versions of, of, uh, the one hit that he had. And he's talking about, I, he says, um, I learned Portuguese so Lisbon kids could sing along. And then the ice cream man says something in Spanish. Yeah. Do you know what he says? No. I translated it. What does he say? So he, with a smile on his face, just kind of a whimsical in a very whimsical kind of like, hey, I know a bit of Spanish kind of way, he says in Spanish, I will eat the skin of your children. Valcoma e pele de sus fijos. Exactly. <laughs> and I literally went out of my way to be like, I wonder what you're saying in that. And I Google translated. I was like, I wonder if I'm on a list now <laughs> from putting that into a Google Translate. You are. Maybe, yeah. But what I found interesting about this one was that the fate of this character was nowhere near as bad as um, I think any of the others. He had a wonderful experience as far as I'm concerned. Well, as far so as I'm aware, so he 
basically has a hallucination where he goes to music land where everything is a musical reference because yeah. they're on a yellow submarine and there's all Bowie characters. Well, Ziggy and- Stardust is quite literally there as is Alan Rigby exactly. and Rocky Raccoon. Exactly. Um, but what's then what happens is he he's on this adventure with them, which seems like a dream. And in the are we gonna are we gonna narrate what's <laughs> happening in the room? I mean, the cat's on the door. So, <laughs> but um, so he's on this adventure, and it, through the adventure, he accidentally creates this new hit. So it's basically like his old song again, but it's like a newer version of it. So he's like, "I've got this new hit," and then he wakes up and he can't remember what the song was. And I'm like, "That's not that bad a fate." And for a horror anthology, it's like, mm. "Oh, I thought of a really good idea in my dreams, and I forgot it when I woke up." It's like that happens to everyone every day. But I suppose to go back to issue six, it clearly consumed him because he's on that bench with a guitar trying to write that song again. Yeah, but like we know, we know people who are like that. I wouldn't describe them as like being tortured by the devil. Like we know people yeah. in our lives who. Who have done exactly that. It's a fairly shallow pursuit, isn't it? Well, not even shallow. I just, again, for what I mean is for a horror anthology, if you mm. consider the fate of the characters in each one, they vary because some some have a bit of trauma, a traumatic experience. Others end up in hell, you know, for all eternity. And this guy's like, oh, I had that really good idea one time. <laughs> what was it again? Like... His his thing was basically the plot of Tenacious D Tribute. Yeah, fucking A. And that's what I mean. So that's when I'm reading, I was like, that wasn't that bad. Like, it was a fun story, but I was just like, well, he's fine, basically. Yeah. They also got something wrong. In or a musical reference? Well, Hendrix's guitar, right? Trust you to pick up the inaccuracy of uh, of the musical reference. So they flip the headstock. Right. Excellent. <laughs> um, but they don't flip the rest of the guitar. And of course, Hendrix, Hendrix, Hendrix played a right-handed strat strung lefty. And so the whole guitar should have been flipped instead of just the headstock. And so I would argue that that is not one of Hendrix's guitars. Literally unreadable now. Uh, let's, let's just stop. It really took me out. <laughs> the lightsaber two panels over took me out of it less than <laughs> Hendrix's guitar being wrong. I was going to say, um, yeah, I, I I knew you would get something out of the musical <laughs> issue, obviously, but I didn't think it would be like a critique as scathing as that. So. I, it, it, zero out, zero if, out of If you're going to do musical references, you got to do them accurately or you don't do them at all. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, moving swiftly on to issue four. Um, issue four I thought was really good. Can I take issue four? Yeah, yeah. Issue four is a kind of relatively ju- just judging by the surroundings that him and his wife are pictured in um and she's his wife there's a ring uh, a relatively wealthy man with a pregnant wife who's been asked to go and eulogize his childhood best friend whom he's lost contact with um he at the funeral meets his friend's absent father and they get to talking and he basically asks him how it felt to walk out on a family because he's considering walking out on his pregnant wife. And the dad talks about the turmoil that he went through having made that decision. And it ends in them not exhuming, but pulling this lad's body out of the casket so we can give him one last cuddle. Yeah. What we discover is that he is in hell. So he was a musician. Specifically the the person who died. Yeah, the person who died is existing in hell. And so 
lots of different things will happen to him. I think the most torturous one is that he was a musician with perfect pitch who could, um, he's described as being able to listen to a song once and then learn to play it. Very common trait for a talented musician. And there is a scene where an entire brass band are around him playing different songs. <laughs> and that, for somebody with like really good pitch, hearing dissonance... Is the worst torture possible. Oh, yeah, it really is. It would be, it would be his own personal hell, I imagine. I do, uh, yeah. As it's, it, it can seem a bit... Uh... It could seem a bit less, but if you don't know music or anything, like uh, um, understated. But yeah, it's it, it's good that it makes more sense that it's a personalized version of torture rather than. I mean, they do some generic versions as well, and by generic I mean like when he's getting operated on by dogs. Yeah, but yeah, it's it's good that there's a, a personalized hell that makes it a bit more um, a bit more creepy. Is probably the best way to put it. Yeah. I did really like issue four because I felt like that was a bit more of an emotional story. Again, like the other issues without like any kind of real resolution or anything, but it did, it, it was emotionally more impactful, especially when did you, did you get to that part? So the, the, the main character's like, I'm thinking of leaving my yeah. family as well. Um, and yeah, it was also good about this issue. What I really liked. So I said earlier, I, I started to like it around this part, around these issues. And yeah. that's because of the introduction of the character, Caleb. Mm. So that is this issue. So at the end of the issue, Ice Cream Man is basically just kind of laughing at whatever horror he's just inflicted or about to inflict or whatever. And then this character, who is basically dressed like the um, the black cowboy from Westworld, is probably the best way to put it. Like literally yeah. black, a black dressed cowboy. And he... Uh, basically says, hey, what's it, what do you call him? Ricardus, I think. Um, yeah, Ricardus. Um, he calls him Ricardus, and Ice Cream Man is scared of this character, Caleb. Yeah. And that's the moment for me where I'm like, oh my God, there's something bigger happening. And I was hooked because we've been four issues almost without anything like this. So when they suddenly hint at it, I'm like, what's going on now? Yeah. And for the fact of Ice Cream Man as a character basically almost being like a the devil or a demon or something ethereal and powerful for him to be scared of a character then that's like it it flips it it flips the convention it's created on its head and i think making that character a cowboy is really um potent in american iconography mm. because the idea of the cowboy in american iconography is very well worn putting a cowboy all in black is a potent symbol isn't it yeah, because you normally, I suppose it's meant to be opposite the the white clothing of the ice cream man. Yeah. So you, you're meant to infer from that, I'm guessing, that he's the opposite to the ice cream man, but he doesn't really show it in any actions. Like he, so in episode uh, issues after this, he is kind of trying to thwart the, the, the actions of the ice cream man. And he does successfully in that panel. He, um, he's giving an ice cream to a little girl and she drops it and runs away. Or yeah. she runs away with it, gleefully back to her house. But he's telling her that he is going to... Uh, the, the vultures are coming to eat your brains. Right. Is what he's telling her as Ricardus appears. Yeah. And he says, almighty... As Caleb appears. Yeah, as Caleb appears, he says, almighty, you're still at this shit. Yeah, and I, I misread that initially. I literally had to go back and reread it because I... 
I inferred Almighty. I was like, oh, is is Ice Cream Man meant to be God? Yeah. And then I realized afterwards it was a cowboy thing. I was like, oh, matter, you still are on for this? Like, yeah, exactly. And I was like, ah, oh, yeah, I misread that. But yeah, I was very hooked at this point because I liked the idea of like, oh my God, there's going to be some lore and backstory that we're going to get over these next issues. And that made me far more interested. Yeah. Um, also, I noticed by around this part, the the art, and we always have to like take a breath yeah. into it. The art, what I think is really beneficial for this is it's unnervingly detailed mm. in like the faces of the characters. And I only realized once I thought about it for a bit, most comic books um, don't have as much detail. So I thought, like, I compare this to, like, Invincible or uh, or Saga or even Wide Last Man. Preacher is the one that it brought to mind for me. Well, so so what I thought of with those other ones, with well, the ones I just mentioned, is they have a lack of detail. Oh, okay, yeah. Whereas this one, it becomes kind of an unnerving amount of detail in yeah. the characters. So the, the art actually reminded me of an artist who I don't know the name of, off the top of my head, but he works a lot with garth ennis who does preacher and the boys and uh a punisher max series it's interesting that we both thought of preacher exactly i, th- I think it's similar it's similar art style especially yeah. on the characters very expressive yes and to, but to an unnerving degree and yeah. it also has like the crooked teeth as well yeah so i think those details when you're looking at like a terrified character's face and you see the extra wrinkles and the teeth and everything that makes it more unnerving mm. and a more, bit more creepy and i think that's a huge benefit to this title as a whole so i, I want to take that to be like the art is perfectly complementary to this kind of style of storytelling yeah it works doesn't it yeah and yeah it's definitely a similar style to garth ennis because he does a lot of like horrible like stories or stories about horrible dark things so yeah. that's why it's probably it might be even in like homage to almost or in reference to because it's that similar kind of um themes covered although obviously with garth ennis they're normally a let bit more like serialized and a bit more like i would say down to earth because if you read preacher that's about like god and the devil and everything but but just dark yeah. stuff in general and like horrible things happening to people you know yeah preacher's a fascinating comic book yeah we'll do that well we'll, that's definitely on the list to do at some point um but yeah so uh crooked teeth so i'm going through my notes um there's a uh, one interesting thing uh in one of the issues they talk about missing people or so it's the yeah. ghost girl issue i think yeah. right now um one important thing I always like to get across is in the comic, they do that whole, like, they talk to the police and the police are like, well, she hasn't been missing for 72 hours. Absolute bollocks. If anyone's missing, yeah, yeah, yeah. if anyone's missing, when regardless of how long it's been, if it's a time where they should be somewhere and they're not there, you can call the police and be yeah. like, this person's missing because they're meant to be here right now. That was something that happened back in the day, though. Yeah. The 72 hours for a missing person is part of the reason that America had so many serial killers in the 60s and 70s. Yeah. Was it ever actually a rule or was it? Because what I... In certain states it was, yeah. Yeah, because what I heard, I think, was less of... In some places, I think, less of being an enforced rule. There was more of police being like, look, she's only been gone a day. Like, maybe she'll come back. You don't know. So let's, you know, rather than waste resources, let's give her a bit more time. So I think it was an unofficially enforced rule, if that makes sense. Um, It's a compelling rhetorical device. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Definitely. Yeah, it helps for like why they couldn't just get the police involved immediately. Yes. Yeah. But the ghost girl issue I really liked as well. I liked that. So there's this girl who has a, a... friend so she's uh 
child, essentially, and she's her childhood friend who has recently passed from cancer. But the- that's the issue after this one. Oh, wait. Well, oh, oh, we're on the Skyrise one, aren't we? And instantly, just as a rhetorical device, the guy falling from the reminded me of that series of How I Met Your Mother, hmm. where the whole story is being told in the duration of one slap. Yep, yep. Do you yep. remember that? Yeah, that was a uh, last se- last series. Yeah, the last season that was kind of like a bottle episode. Yeah, because it was all happening in that hotel. The bot the entire season happened in the hotel. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, the entire season was like a bottle episode. Yes, yeah. And it was happening, and that and it kind of, this kind of felt like a bottle episode, um, in an anthology which is full of weirdness. So it isn't, but it, it gave me that feeling because it was messing with the chronology of the actual issue yeah that makes sense yeah uh that one so in that issue basically a bunch of people are going mental in a sky rise and start murdering each other and jumping off the building and a vulture is like eating someone's brains and yeah and and takes an eye of someone and all that and there's like one everyone's behaving weirdly and there's one woman who's like not who, who sees how crazy everything is yeah. and is just running away and the most interesting thing about that issue, and I think it's the reason it was placed here, because it introduced Caleb in the issue before, is you see Caleb actively trying to stop what Rick, the ice cream man, is doing. Yeah. So he has literally a crossbow and he shoots down the vulture or something, doesn't he? Yeah. And he just says to the woman, like, hey, you want to get out of here because, you, know, you know, it's crazy in here. So she runs off and she survives, luckily. She's probably going to be killed by the vulture if he didn't help. Yeah. Um, but then that's it. That's the only thing to do with this whole larger story of caleb and rick and who they are and what they're doing and that kind of thing so i i i like that they just give you a little more tidbit of like you know there's more to come kind of thing and we only really see caleb at the end and i think what's interesting here is that we don't see rick give it give anyone an ice cream and the guy who's jumping says lickety split so it's very clear that he has had an interaction with rick at some point but we don't see this character's interaction with Rick. And with no. all the other characters, we see them interface with him. Yeah, we have no idea how Rick has done any of this, but also we don't know how he's done anything. So it's, yeah. he's just less he's less present. But he is narrating. He is um, mm. doing all the narration in this one. Yes. And what's interesting as well, in the narration, uh, Caleb, I think it's this one, or it might be one after, but in the narration at some point, Ice Cream Man is narrating basically evil shit, yeah. and Caleb tells him to shut up. So, like, a character who's there tells the narrator to sharp about yeah. what he's talking. So they obviously have some crazy connection that supersedes, like, you know, the normal world and everything, where it, it might even supersede the fourth wall. Like, it might, they might know their character in the comic or something, because, it again, it's about one character narrating and the other one knowing he's narrating. So, yeah. So, yeah, I thought that was an interesting, uh, interesting twist. So the next one was is the ghost girl one. Girl uh, who's... Uh, childhood friend has died from cancer but she still still talks to and sees the friend and the parents are like well she might have schizophrenia she might be Mm. crazy it might be a coping mechanism what have you and then the girl somehow ends up at the uh, a chakra house with the ice cream man yeah and she walks in and there's a guy on the table who's basically been almost skinned alive yeah uh what i thought was interesting was that He'd almost been skinned alive, except for a bit of skin around the genital area, so they didn't have to show genitals. Yeah. I thought that was a weird touch, because, like, you know, it's one thing seeing a man skinless for most of his body, but God forbid showing a 
cock and balls. Oh you know? yeah, disgusting. Yeah, that's a weird co- like co- I was a um, comics code of authority I hangover or something. Is, yeah, which I have no idea. Like. <clears throat> I mean, thank God they hid the genitals so we can show our children the skinned man, you know? Like, <laughs> good on the good on the old image comics. But um, I thought that was a bit over the top. Like, that was... I like the kind of unease and... There's a bit of gore normally. I, uh, uh, I didn't like that it's like suddenly like, ooh, it's a creepy shack. And, oh, there's a skinned man! Like, mm. that kind of... Uh, it fell a bit out of place. But, but what I liked about this ep- issue especially was they never show the ghost or... They never showed the girl, they never showed the dead girl who the alive girl is meant to be talking to. No. And I thought that was good because it, it left it that part ambiguous as to whether they, you know, she actually was, because um, at the end, she acknowledges the death of a friend, which she yeah. hadn't previously. What's interesting in this issue is that, I'm just calling it back up, it's number four, isn't it? Or number five? I think it's number six. Number six, we're on number six now. Yeah, we're churning through these. Um... Yeah, so number six isn't... That's number seven. Oh, right. Number six is the chap who buys three scoops. Oh, yeah. So you're The one I've been talking about. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't know if it's my favourite. It's the one that I keep thinking about because he gets three scoops, one chocolate, one vanilla, one strawberry. Yeah. And then the texture of his three outcomes are different. And so there is one story where he meets meets a woman as a baby that they lose... There's one score story where he um, gets a puppy. As in, literally finds a, a dog. Finds somebody's lost dog and ends up living happily in the woods with it. Well, to, uh, specifically, he moves away because he sees missing posters for the dog. And he's like, yeah. I'm just going to fucking leave with the dog. And yeah. So it's a little dark, but, you know, not too bad. And then the third one, which is just sheer chaos where he meets the bird man. Yes. Um, who is the ice cream man wearing a mask, we think? Well, that's, yeah, that was my assumption. And it's in that timeline that we see Caleb. Yes, exactly. So in the first timeline where he has the baby, we see a poor Jimbo mm. on the bench. In the second timeline with the dog, we see, we see again the most positive outcome that we saw, which is just this guy who has been given a new lease on life and has been given his purpose back mm. and is trying to write his hit. And then in the third panel, where everything is really fucking messed up, we see Caleb. Yeah. And I think that was just an interesting choice. Mm. And Caleb also, the ghost girl one, he frees the girl as well, doesn't he? I yeah, think. yeah, he does. So Caleb is popping in and out constantly. I mean, constantly. He's like in every issue from now on, he's kind of popping in and out. So I don't necessarily think that the suited Birdman is... Rick. You think he's a third character? Yeah, I think so. Well, in a later issue, I don't know if it's within what we're talking about or one of the ones I went past on, but you see the mask and the suits. They're like hung up on a wall somewhere for some uh, reason. Oh, right. Okay. But again, that could, again, that, like I said before, that could just be a callback. That could yeah. be literally like, hey, remember that? There's one issue very later on where um, basically the spoil, it's not even spoiling one, it's the subject of one later. There's an issue later where Ice Cream Man is Superman. And he's in Uh, a world where it's like, oh my God, Ice Cream Man. He's like the world's greatest superhero and all that. Mm. And he, it's the, there's a woman who's basically playing the Lois Lane character. Yeah. And she's the one who's kind of being tortured by this. She's like trying to, she knows he's bad and she's trying to prove it. 
and he invites her to what's his ver- i can't remember the name but his version of the sort the um fortress of solitude yeah and in the fortress he has a bunch of stuff from previous episodes uh, right. from previous issues okay i'm doing the thing where you were calling remember when you were calling pokemon uh uh, was it video game or anime? I was calling the or manga comic. comics. Yeah. Oh, I'm gonna have to put in a buzzer for myself. You're gonna have to every put time in I use in. episode in front, instead of issues. Uh, yeah, I'll go retroactively. I'll go back and do that. But um, I mean, it's already done because you're listening to the edited. Absolutely, version. Yeah. so it's already happened. Ding. Yeah. <laughs> I'm from the future. Are you listening to the edited issue or the episode? <sighs> I mean, of ours. Ours is episode. So take it. Yeah, yeah. Ep- episode of a podcast. Can we call them? Um, cantos instead. Cantos. Mm. What's that? I have no idea what that is. Just a you know, just a cheeky little literary reference for anyone that's read Lord Byron. I mean, it's quite niche. I mean, I'll let you call them cantos. Like you can call them whatever you want in uh it, within the confines of the recording. Absolutely. So in this yeah. canto, yes. Um- <laughs> what was even going? Um, yeah, the Caleb, Caleb, the man. Uh, the references in future ones that maybe Easter eggs, maybe they're not. We mm. don't know, but. Uh, I think I've skipped over issue eight generally, but I did make one. That, so I, well, we're not on issue seven yet. We're we're going to talk about the dead girl now. Finally, I thought well, I already have basically. Yeah, no, so that's it. issue seven, right? Um, her dad, bless him. Yes, I thought that was an interesting. That was a a sympathetic character towards the end. Yeah, well, he just. He was a normie dealing with some pretty intense neurodivergence, wasn't he? Yeah, exactly. Um, didn't know how to handle it, or wasn't handling it the best. Yeah, and so he was. He was try. He was quite aggressively trying to dissuade her of this either delusion you could call it, or actually just her reality that she was um, still spending time with her dead friend. And was quite forthright in doing so and actually a little bit damaging in the way he approached it. Yeah. And to be fair, you can see the regret of how he'd been handling it. You can see the regret when she goes missing, uh, because then he's like, have I done this? Have I pushed her away? You know, did I make a mistake? So it's, it's sympathetic towards the end. Did you plot the racial element at play here? I did not clock it, no. So what we have here is a brown parent. The mother is brown. The daughter is brown, mixed race. Dad is white. And he's kind of denying parts of her lived experience. Right. In a way that white people often do with black people. And so I, I, kind, I kind of saw this allegory for race in America and white people not understanding or choosing to not understand the live reality of being a black American or a black or brown American. It, it definitely might be that. I don't know if, if the, the subject being ghosts or not ghosts is close enough to that as a subject. And I might yeah. be, I'm just saying why I didn't see that. Like yeah. you, you might be, you know, the writer might be like, yeah, that's exactly what I was going for. But I didn't see it only because it, it didn't feel like he wasn't believing something it didn't feel like he wasn't believing something that was happening because by the end we don't we it, it might have been her just being you know handling it poor at the end he makes a major concession to her lived her lived experience he sets a place for her friend um and so it's a growth story for the dad yeah definitely and one of the rare better endings for for characters in this so hopefully we never see them again because otherwise it'll be bad yeah absolutely um it, i mean it took crisis for him to get there but doesn't it always 
Um, but yeah, he made a concession to her lived experience, which I thought was really interesting. I also thought the idea of um, putting a cat in the soup pot was quite potent. Yeah, that gets mentioned. A, there's, there's a, that's an ongoing reference. Because they say that if you f- deep fry a kitten, it's yeah. tastier than fried chicken, right? Or yeah. no, a steak dinner. A yeah, steak exactly. Dinner. So that, that becomes a running theme across. That pops up in later issues as well. Again, I think that's just an Easter egg almost. I don't think it's like a, a lore you know, aspect or anything. But it's interesting because I think on a cultural level, we are more attuned to the consumption of dogs because that's an actual thing that happens in the world. And so often if you talk about somebody eating a commonly, you know, a domesticated common household pet, it'll be a dog that they're eating or a rat. Yeah, it's definitely been chosen to be more creepy and unsettling. Yeah, and the choice of a cat here, if you think about... And specifically a kitten, so it's even worse. But if you think about a cat in iconography and just in folklore and as a totem, um, cats are often... Uh, so you know there 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 are there are some folkloric examples of people believing that a cat, for instance, has the soul of a witch in it, particularly black cats. And so the so just the idea of them like some kind of demon or fae boiling and eating a cat is very is very interesting in that context, you know. Yeah, and I I I again I think the specificity of it being a kitten is what makes it like a horrific a more horrific thing to imagine it's not just yeah. a, an adult cat it's a baby kitten that's i think was meant to be like a more horror aspect of of why he keeps saying it and then i suppose the other interesting thing here is that um he is quite serpentine yes in his in his presentation here he's very serpent like but then in her illustration of him he is a straight up devil like he is a purple devil, and so that kind of draws into question whether he is being he is being perceived differently by different people, and is is she actually seeing is is that serpentine presentation a construct that he's trying to show her to scare her, and is she actually seeing right through to the fact that he is a horned devil with a forked tail? Well, we do eventually see what we. Th- think might be his true form ah, okay. which we'll get to in which we'll get to just in a couple of issues i think the symbolism of him taking us taking on a serpentine form is interesting yeah definitely it, it definitely speaks to uh the devil and and all that yeah yeah and and the devil in quite classical christian iconography yeah appearing yeah. as a serpent serpent garden of eden and all that yeah absolutely and then the fact that she is viewing him as more of a renaissance devil because that portrayal of devils and angels is very much a feature of renaissance painting and it's something that seeped into christianity from renaissance painting and so they're taking two quite distinct and different ideas of the devil from christian iconography at different points in early christianity and then throwing them into one story in this quite playful, charming way because it's a child's illustration. And it would also, it makes a lot of sense that it's the Christian portrayal of the devil because this all takes place in what is essentially middle America. Yeah, absolutely. And so that would be her understanding of the devil, wouldn't it? It would be a pointy-horned... And the whole, and the, the portrayal of the ice cream man is is the white picket fence, America, ice cream man comes down the corner, you know, like uh, that... Uh, 
residential domestic kind suburban. of landscape. suburban domestic landscape yeah sort of middle american suburbia in the 1950s yeah exactly um issue are we on issue eight or did we just talk about issue eight which we're currently talking about issue seven ah so issue eight i think is the it's the one where people are in an ambulance aren't they yeah yeah so there it, this one's an interesting one because this one it just seems like everything's going nuts like they're driving through town and everyone's going a bit mental like there's a lot of random stuff happening but the ambulance drivers they're on it they're taking drugs like in the ambulance they're taking prescription drugs and talking about how shit life is and prescription all that. drugs that they've pinched from the hospital drug cabinet yeah because he takes a bunch of drugs that are meant for people with leukemia yeah, and she's taking she's taking uppers or something, I think. No, as well. he finds some hydrocodone. Right. Which is another opiate. Again, opiates very present here. Well, it's again it's it's middle America, isn't it? So Yeah, I suppose, yeah. The dark side of you know, just under the surface, the dark things that are happening. Yes. I think this is the issue where they mention werewolves. They're like Yeah. The werewolf will get him. Yeah. Oh, there's a werewolf running around. And I read that and I was like, so is he a werewolf? Is he not? Or is this just is just a callback? Like, that's why I was kind of playing that whole, like, am I applying too much meaning to all of this or mm. not? And I think it was just an Easter egg, almost. Um, the interesting thing about this, again, ambulance drivers driving around, taking drugs, doing a bit of crazy shit. Everyone's going a bit mental. And then it turns out at the end, they're literally like, oh, yeah, we've got that guy in the back who has the knife in his neck. Yeah. We should go check on him go around the back and it's Caleb and they're like, yeah, it's a guy in the back and it's Caleb. And it's, it, it doesn't really play too much. It, I don't know. Like, um, again, am I reading in too much into it? I'm like, okay, Caleb can be harmed and he might be dying, but then mm. issues later, he's fine again. Um, so past issue nine, again, I'm, I read past it. He's just there again. Like he's yeah. fine. So it's, it doesn't seem like, he was affected, but for some reason, a knife in the neck was enough for him to be put into an ambulance. Mm. So we still guess he has the same kind of ethereal powers as the ice cream man, maybe, but, you know... He's mortal. Well, we don't know, because, again, he's fine uh, in later issues. Yeah. But, again, to your point, we don't know when everything takes place. Was this the end of the story? And then everything afterwards happens before this issue. You know, we we don't know yet. Because it does really feel like the whole society is degenerated at this point. Well, is it society or is it this town? Because everything takes place in this St. Generous town, doesn't it? Yeah. And then and what you're seeing is, you know, the the, the clown. Poor clown. Who did dead all the clown, yeah. Yeah, the dead clown was killed by the werewolf. And we see one of the vultures from issue five appear flying over the city and everything's burning and there are cars crashed it, they, this looks like the kind of end of the first act of a zombie film yes. where everything's really started to go to shit but people are still clinging to their suburban lives a bit exactly yeah um issue nine because there's well, not there's a oh, couple there's a couple things here that i wanted to talk about yeah go ahead um we've talked about it having that kind of 1950s middle america suburban aesthetic and the the book is quite timeless in as much as... There's not much technology or anything, is there? No, but in this issue, we see our first smartphone. Ah, so now it's confirmed to d- modern day. Yeah, absolutely. Um, no- Notably, he's on Twitter. He's on something that is very clearly Twitter. And he's looking at the Twitter comments. And it, you know, it, it is noticeably Twitter. I don't think anybody would look at this and argue anything other than that. 
And so it, it drags it kicking and screaming into the modern day. Yeah, which was a choice at this point because we hadn't really... And we might have missed something, but we don't think there's been any obvious references before now. I've been skimming through the ep- the issues, the episodes. Wow! Give me another buzzer. Ding. <laughs> um, I was been... going to have to give you a different buzzer sound for this uh, episode of the podcast. This canto. This. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've been skimming through the issues while we've been talking. Right. And this is the first smartphone I've seen, and it's glare. It gets its own panel. Yeah. So very obviously, we are in modern day. Look at this. And the way this is organised is that generally it will be quarter panels. Right or thirds, so you either get a you get a very rarely do you get a full panel. Um, it's either a quart like three panels going down horizontal uh, vertically. Yeah, or a quarter of a page is four panels, and you skim left to right, top to bottom. And this gets a full third of the page, the central panel. Like it wants you to see this smartphone, and it, it's just some Twitter comments saying, you know, fuck you, you're a snowflake. Yeah, fuck you, fuck you, you're poor and an idiot, you're ugly and a snowflake. Like, it's very generic comment stuff. But it's in quite a dark, dreary panel. It's all blues and purples because it's nighttime. And then you've got this bright white phone screen in a central panel. They want you to see it. Yeah. I don't know, I think this issue really gave me a sense of kind of the current state of things. People being really disillusioned. And I think there's a guy robbing a diner and he just says, I hate my neighbours. And that is my whole life. People are telling me what to do. I hate my neighbors. And that's his reason for robbing this diner at gunpoint. But then, and then the twist, like a mini twist is, is he there to rob it? No, he's not, is he? No, he goes in with a mask, pulls the mask up and then shoots himself. And you get this really graphic. And the fact that every, when a robbery's happening, the, the paramedics just like, well, looks like the bill's been taken care of. Let's let's get out of here. Like, but and that's and not even in like a almost comedic way. It's like a we don't care about what's going on kind of way. But then again, it, it, there's this real sense that everything's degenerated at this point. Like in the panel where he approaches the waiter, in the background you can see somebody with a cleaver and blood spray, spraying off it. Yeah, and there's two blokes playing five finger. Yeah, well they're playing. They're playing put the fork through your hand like yeah. that's the goal of you you think that one of them's failed and the other guy's like no that's how not how you do it this is how you do it and he just impales his own hand and the other guy's like ah yeah that's how you do it like society is really crumbled in this town at this point well this is what i was saying about everything seems to be going mental around the paramedics driving around yeah and again as i keep saying in this uh, episode am i reading too much into it or is this the the devolution of the town is that because of the ice cream man and his effect on everyone or is it the the world is fucked and it's a representation of it being fucked and the ice cream man is kind of just taking advantage he's like slipping in the cracks and making it worse for individuals yeah and i get i don't know if i'm i'm reading too much into it or not It, it seems very out of place for everything just to be crazy for no reason this issue felt like a turning point for me well, this and the issue after, yeah, especially. So the reason are we we good to move on to the last issue we're going to be talking about? I think so. Yeah. Well, so the reason that so we spoke before, and and I said, "How many have you done?" And you, uh, I five or six, I think. Yeah. And I said, "As long as you get to issue nine, so we can talk about that." We're and golden. I think, yeah, and I think that's a good point to end on because issue nine, I would say, is the most important issue 
even though that I've read getting to issue 18, I'd say issue 9 is the most important because it's the story of Caleb and Ricardus. Yeah. And it's them in a different world and they seem to be, there's an, so it's them in this world. They both speak to, I think they refer to him as uncle, an older yeah. guy. Um, and the older guy is basically like, we have to basically leave this world and go to a new one again. Like it's a regular thing they do every once in a while. And Caleb's like, all right, yeah, we'll go to this new world. And Rick's like, and ah, oh, new world. And he's like, there's a book here, are the rules of the new world we're going to. Yeah. So I think I assumed reading it that they're coming to this world uh, or the world, at least that most of the issues are set in. And then there's, hey, uh, Ricardus is pissed off about something. He, Caleb has a dog um who then ricardus kills and skins and wears the the skin of yeah uh which is horrible and then he makes a giant spider also this world has giant spiders caleb yeah. like rounds them up with like a lasso and like it's normal there's something a little bit arachnid about their eyes as well when yeah. they're existing in their own world they they look less human yeah i mean the it's surprising that they're human at all yeah in this world and then uh ricardus basically sets a giant spider on the the uncle and kills him mm, yeah so it doesn't give it implies a lot about their backstory yeah. and who they are but it doesn't doesn't give you anything really does it it's no the things that intrigued me about it firstly they look a bit elven yeah, um, yeah. there's 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 something distinctly not human about them and i think leading up to this they've both been wearing fairly humanoid skins hmm. and so this cements the fact that they are not human um again i'm gonna rabbit on about symbolism a lot here but i yeah. think this is playing on a lot of religious symbolism the wolf and the spider both powerful symbols right um the wolf is often used as a symbol for good i would argue because of our relationship with canids and our relationship with dogs the spider is generally something a bit more sinister. Yeah. And it's the first time that we've... The Ice Cream Man has had this totemic relationship with spiders from the outset. Yes. Whereas now we're seeing Caleb's totemic relationship with the wolf. And then the other thing is that the wolf's called Mother Mary. No, the spider is called Mother Mary. Right. So religious iconography again? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, Mary, Mary the mother is a really, really potent symbol in Christianity. Um, she is all that is good and she is the virgin and she is a conduit for God and God's will. And for her to then, for that name to be used for an arachnid and something that, you know, kills and takes life. I just think that's a really, a really interesting choice. Yeah. And again, I think further down the line, once we've read a bit more, we'll see what that means and what they're trying to do there. Well, this is the, what I keep saying is, when I said before, I enjoyed the series from kind of issue five onwards because it started implying this this backstory and everything. And I really enjoyed issue nine because it felt like I was finally being given the backstory that I was craving, yeah. even, even if just to a certain extent. Um, reading past it, it kind of goes into wackier stories. But so up to issue 18, which I'm at, which is almost over two years of, of monthly mm. releases, they go back to kind of being in the background a bit more. Yeah. So I'm getting to a point now, and again, I'm probably going to continue it. I want to see what happens, but I'm getting to a point where I'm now getting a bit annoyed at the lack of explanation. And I think right. there's a balance with 
storytelling in case like these where you're giving a little bit of lore each time that there's a certain point where the reader i mean speaking as a reader i get frustrated of like come on like when we're into a bit now can i have a bit can i have a bit more can i know you know what's going on a bit more now i feel like they but the problem is with things like that and with a lot of horror especially if you explain too much it becomes less scary or less creepy less unsettling because you're like oh they're demons and they have powers you know that kind of thing so uh, it's becoming a test for where i am in it it's becoming a test of how much you can dangle a little bit of law and explanation (laughs) and that how much you can balance it and keep it going before people get annoyed but then if you give too much then you can make it less fun yeah i agree and yet issue nine felt like the point at which Clearly, we got the amount of backstory we're going to get. I mean, for now, because like I'm mm. an 18, I think there's 30 something issues. Like, I think it's still it's still now being released, which is why we wanted to do this one. Is it's, we're five years in, aren't we? Yeah, Started in 2018. Yes, um, but a current, it's a still be. I'm pretty sure it's still being released. I think. Yeah. But um, so yeah, it's it's ongoing. Maybe they haven't done any more law, but tomorrow there might be an issue where they explain everything. So and this whole podcast is ruined. Well, <laughs> we are explicitly talking about issues one to nine. I'm yeah. including a little bit more to, up to issue eighteen, which has some great issues. Um, there's one I think you'll really enjoy. It's called Palindrome, and the issue can be read front to backwards the same way. Oh, that's really cl- that's really clever. Yeah. It's cleverly done. Uh, it's not the story is quite basic and more um, thematic than, than. You're getting two of them, so it needs to be. Well, you're getting the same one backwards, so it gets to a halfway point and then it goes backwards on itself. So the way a palindrome works, it literally has to be the same word yeah. in two halves put together. Um, yeah. No. Yeah. So. So with the palindrome, it has to go one way and then the other. It goes back in the mirror image almost. So. So it's interesting. It's definitely worth it. If I, if I can find that one, I'll send you whichever one that is or like send you the issue number so you can read that one. Did you know that's a common feature of classical art? Well, palindromes. Well, they call them mirror poems and mirror minuets, I think. Right. And so you have poetry that can be read forwards and backwards. And that was popular, I want to say Elizabethan era. And then there were famous composers who did mirror, com- mirror compositions that could be played forwards or backwards. But then if two musicians read the same sheet music, one of them reading it forwards, one of them reading it backwards, you could play it together. Right. And it would work as a piece of music played both ways. And yeah, I'd say this is the comic equivalent. Yeah. Which is as as highbrow as it's going to get in comics sometimes. But isn't that interesting? They're it's, using a kind of classical yeah, medium, of like a classical yeah. concept. Issue after this, it takes place in Mexico, and what's interesting is about half of it is fully in Spanish. Oh, cool! And I read it thinking, is this all going to be in Spanish? Do I like? <laughs> am I like? Uh, like, is there any point in me continuing it if it's all going to be? Because I'm, you know, I, will I get anything from it? Yeah. And halfway through it, they do start speaking in English because there's a English speaking character who mm. who influences the other characters to then speak English for him. Okay. But I thought they do spend a lot of time purely in Spanish, and I think that I thought that was an interesting way to go for for an issue as well and again coming back to the whole anthology thing they do a good experimental things with the stories per yeah. issue because they can because if one doesn't work out like if you don't like the palindrome issue 
It's one issue. Matter. You just move on to the next one. So that's, again, coming back full circle, that's the benefit of this series. You can enjoy one issue. You cannot enjoy another. Keep going. Hopefully they'll reveal more of the backstory. We'll see. So I'm going to give you a scaling question now. Okay. I've just, considered, I've just thought up. I'm pretty proud of it. Um, how many creepy, creepy spider legs out of eight would you give this series? Well, I think over, from what I've read for to up to issue 18, I think a good six out of eight, I'd so say. A good six creepy spider legs out of eight. Yes. I think the reason is it's it's a bit better than it's a bit better than average because I like how creepy it is. Like as we said earlier, I like the horror stuff. So I like that. I think the fact that some issues don't work for me is it's a it's it's a feature, not a bug of the yeah, of right? the of the way a story's told. But again, those negative issues, the ones whoever doesn't like it's gonna be different for different people. But those ones are still going to impact your overall enjoyment. But yeah, it's still quite high because I like the the twists and turns and the yeah. risks they take in some of the issues. Um, I appreciate that it condenses backstory to get to the weird parts. Yeah, I would ultimately I would recommend it, um, but I would recommend it if you like anthology storytelling or horror mm. or both. You know. Which is less common these days. It is, and that's what I think that's a, why we were drawn to do this, is because when I told you about it, yeah, you, I think you like just how just uh, talking about a different thing. Yeah. So for reference, Ryan and I actually had, we sat down over lunch and had a conversation and he kind of pulled out a bunch of current series that he thought looked interesting that we could talk about. And purely based on the one sentence synopsis he gave me, this is the one that I wanted to talk about this week. Because the concept intrigued me. Yeah, and I think we've had an interesting time, if nothing else, an interesting time with this. I Yeah, I had an interesting time reading it. I enjoyed what I read of it. Um, I'm surprised we've been able to get as much out of this, because I said at the top that, I said up top this was going to be a shorter e- e- episode, and we are at 140, so. Yeah, we've, we've, we've kind of gotten into it the way we would get into... I say 140, uh, there's probably going to be edits, so the actual time that I'm saying now, 140, is probably not going to be 140 on the actual final edited one. The runtime of this episode, because you're going to be about an hour in at this point, being like, what's he on about an hour Exactly. So, yeah, it's it's. but we're doing a decent length of time, and I I thought we weren't going to have as much to talk about because it wasn't a serial story. Turns out we had more to talk about per individual issue. And I think that's the difference with serial ones, where for, like, Saga there might be an issue where not as much happens. Mm. So if we, when we eventually get around to talking about Saga, or like we did with Y or uh, League of Gentlemen, there's going to be issues where we don't talk about as much because they're setting up for like the next issue. Whereas this one, we kind of wanted to talk about each individual issue because it had its own unique story. It's quite, it's quite dense in theme, isn't it? Yes, exactly. And I mean, the ultimate theme is just everything sucks and everyone suffers in some way or another. Yeah. But few do get out. A few, like we said, like a couple of issues, people get out fine. And that, I think, adds tension. Because then if everyone died or suffered, you'd yeah. be a bit more boring. The fact that some people get out, like a horror film, some people need to survive because then it raises tension for others. Mm. And I think what's what drew me in when I was reading it is that I couldn't tell if the ice cream man was kind of this righteous force that was highlighting people's... Uh, catalyze for want of a better word or if he was this because he's, he's he's partly omniscient isn't he yeah definitely to us to an extent yeah yeah there's something omniscient in him and i couldn't work out if he was trying to be a force for good and he was 
bringing bad things upon bad people. But it seems that he's fairly indiscriminate. Yeah, I think it it does seem to be a bit more... It's not necessarily he's punishing the bad for being bad, but he's finding any person and whatever their thing is, whatever their history, past trauma, whatever. So it can seem like for some that it's kind of righteous punishment, but for others it's kind of like you're picking on someone in their weak moment or that. Kind yeah. Of thing. The other, the one, the one other thing that interested me about his character is that he's a bit queer coded. I think that's the the portrayal of the ice cream man. Like, yeah, do you know much about queer coding? What is in like giving queer characteristics to a to a character? Do you mean? Yeah, so it's something Disney did a lot, right? Disney would queer code their villains, right? Um, a really great example is Ursula. Ursula has a mm. lot of traits that you would um I, you would kind of identify with, like a butch lesbian. I don't really like that um expression. But that's that that's was the, the stereotypical. That, well, that was the parlance that was used at the time. Now we would say like a mask presenting right. queer person, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, she she has she's coded in that way. Oh, who's the evil lion from The Lion King? Scar. Scar is queer coded. Scar is yeah. very effeminate. And it was kind of Disney's way in a time when homosexuality was vilified. Yep. Of using those negative character connotations but not actually making the characters gay because that would have they would have butted up against some censorship issues yeah and there's some of that here there's this flamboyance to him in this camp that he exudes even if you just look at the panel where him and caleb are being sat down to tell be told that they need to go to this other world yeah and he's kind of reclining in this very um sort of showy way and then Caleb is sat quite steadfast and stoic with his arms crossed. There is a certain degree of queer coding happening. I think as well, the fact that they obviously brought in Caleb quite early, mm. like issue four, he is that kind of Clint Eastwood man's man kind of portrayal. He has a very traditionally masculine presentation. Yeah. And that is interesting. I genuinely didn't pick up on that. And now that you've mentioned it, I, I, it's, it's very obvious now. Yeah. Um, so I, it's, I think the, the, the inherent fear that comes with the ice cream man role is it's the stranger who interacts with kids. Yeah. And I, Bit noncy, isn't it? Well, I feel like that those, those characteristics as you're talking about, I think, I think this comic is using pre-existing characteristics without intentionally making them queer coding yeah i don't i don't think that they were making a statement about queer people no i don't think that's what was happening here but they were using some of those tropes yeah and i think they are using them without realizing what mm. what they were created in the first place and I, yeah and i think the the cowboy versus what essentially is the devil i think it inherently has some of that um not i don't want to go so far as say homophobic but you know what i mean like it has a bit of that flavor for lack of a better term of of phobia because it's based on the american dream 50s yeah. thing and that's built that is that is ostensibly fucking not using words correctly that is incredibly uh built on homophobia yeah there there was there was this demonization of the effeminate man that happened yeah. in 19th century and 20th century american media and the kind of masculinist, steadfast, quiet character was often portrayed as the hero. 
And then when you were writing a villain, you would make them effeminate because they were characteristics that were seen as negative in a man. Mm. And they've done that here. And I think that was a really interesting choice for something that started publishing in 2018. It's not a choice that you would often see anymore. Yeah. Is it possible? I have a theory that I've just come up with on the spot. Let's see how it goes. These are my favorites. I think there might be something to do with portrayal specifically in visual media. So like Mm. early film and television. And even plays to just before that theater. I think there's something where the the male actors who would do those kind of things, if you were the chiseled masculine uh, appearance and look, like way back, you know, was it To Kill a Mockingbird, yeah. Gregory Peck, and yeah. that kind of thing. Um, they were always the leads for obvious reasons because they wanted to be idolized by the male viewers and, yeah. and the female viewers. And I think by default the men who didn't get those roles who were you know men in acting and theater that time probably were by de- might have been by default more effeminate yeah not even necessarily gay or straight or anything oh no i think i think yeah no i agree with you i think a big part of that trope came from the pool of actors they had available to mm. them because there's a similar thing that happens with foreign um foreign villains <laughs> and harrison ford actually made this point i think he so someone asked him years ago in a chat show i, I think it's harrison ford we said, oh, why is it always um, Americans are the leads and the heroes? And it's like the British or any other English speaking with an accent was the villains. And he said, because you were putting up a movie in theaters to attract people, you want the American as the hero because yeah. you want the American audiences, the largest audience. You had all these great British actors and every other kind of actor who wasn't American but they weren't getting the lead roles, but they, so the top billing after the hero was the villain. Yeah. So absolutely. they would, so the villains were always portrayed as, as non-American because just by default, they had these great actors who needed the best roles, but not the top roles. And you, and you see a certain degree of that in kind of early Gothic American cinema, people like Bella Lugosi, incredible actor, always played the villain. Mm. He was the werewolf. He was Nosferatu. You know, he played the demonic character and he was from somewhere in Middle Europe. And why the portrayal of Nosferatu and Dracula and um, Transylvania and all that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but it was just something that intrigued me and it was something that we'd not touched on. It was one of the things I wanted to talk about. Yeah, no, it's a Um, very interesting point and uh, definitely intentionally um, put that way for whatever reason that can be just, obviously that can be debated, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, I'm very willing to um be told that there's not enough textual evidence to support what i'm saying like that's part of the joy of what we do yeah of course um but it's something i noticed and it was something i wanted to bring up and get your thoughts on yeah no very interesting um i think we're about to wrap it up mainly because we've been sitting in a room that we've not been able to have the heating on because (laughs) of the sound it makes yeah and after almost two hours of no heating, I think we're starting to freeze a bit. So. Yeah, absolutely. British winter and all that. I mean, this episode might come out in bloody spring by the time we start <laughs> actually releasing episodes. But, you know, we'll get there when we get there. But thank you for listening. I hope you have a wonderful time. Are you doing the wrap up? Yeah, why not? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Um, so thank you for listening. I hope whatever you're doing, you have a wonderful time in it. And I hope you'll join us next time for more comic book antics. And soon to be releasing comics and videos. Uh, once we get to that point, I've, I'm putting pressure on myself. Uh, yeah. April, I think, is going to be the time where they're going to start coming out. Obviously, basically edited towards the start because I'm learning the video editing process as well. But yeah, you know, we'll see how they come out. Um, I've been making TikToks. Wow.
Um, so if you want to, if you want to find that, I don't know what I'm called on TikTok. I don't know what my TikTok is. Oh, I'm at Byronic Monkeys on TikTok. If you want to hear me do things on TikTok, it's, it's not fun. It's not a fun journey. It's not a fun place to spend time. I've got to say, you're not selling it at all, but, uh, but check him out on TikTok, everybody. <laughs> Why not? What, what else have you got to do with your time? Really? Give it a chance. Bye. Uh, yeah, I think that's the end. So thank you for listening and we will see you at the next one. Bye.